Uh, we're starting a new series here uh, this, this week on, on grace. So I'm excited to begin this. Um, a, few, a few years ago, I, I bought my, my wife uh, some, some earrings, some diamond earrings. Uh, I don't know if it was an anniversary gift or if it was a birthday gift or was a push, push, oh, it was a push gift. So push gift means that we, we, I, I blessed her with the gift for being able to push out a baby. So um, <laughs> things that I can't do. Um, thank you, sweetie, two of those wonderful kids. Um, so a few days after giving her the, uh, the, the present, um, she, she begins to, to ask me a few questions. Now, the details are a little murky here, so forgive me. Um, but she, she starts to, you know, ask me about these earrings that I've purchased for her, and she's investigating. So she's like, so what are, what's the, what's the size of, of these earrings? What's the, the four C's is what she starts to, she starts to, you know, investigate, and she starts to ask me, um, hey, uh, so where, where did you purchase this from? And um, again, details are a little murky, but I think I called her online, kind of find out, you know, how much, how much I, I paid for these, for these earrings. And I think what she was trying to determine was, hey, did you, did you get them on sale? I don't think you're trying to determine that. But so maybe she was trying to determine, hey, how much did I, I spend on these earrings? How much did they cost my husband? Did, did he spend too much? Which is never the case, right? Did, did he spend too little, which would be a problem. But ultimately, I think what she's trying to determine is how much did he spend? How, how much does he love me? How much does he value me? Right? And, and she's asking these questions. Has anybody ever done that before? Just, oh, just, oh, it's just you, babe. Just you. Um, <laughs> I think, I think we all have at some point done that before in, in our life, and we're trying to determine, hey, how much, is this, how much did it cost this person that purchased this gift for me? And how much uh, do, I, uh, do they value me? Uh, how much do they love me? I want to I see. Although it didn't cost me anything, I want to see how much it actually cost them. How deep into their bank account did they have to reach to get this gift for me? And as I was thinking about this, this story, I started to think about how often do we actually ask that question of, of God himself? God, uh, how often do we in, investigate his word to figure out how, how much, God, do I mean to you? How much do you value me? How deep into your account did you have to reach to purchase me and pull me out of hell, Right? And that's the, that's the question that I believe the, the text that we're going to read about today, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, actually kind of answers for us. It's talking about God's grace, God's gift to us, God's empowering grace to, to wake us up and make us alive in him. And it's, and it's teaching us in these verses how much God values us, how much God loves us, how deep he went down into his account to save us, right? Um, and I think Paul here, and Paul here is speaking to Christians in this passage, and he's trying to remind them of God's grace. Although we use this passage, and, and it's a very 
popular one, and it's one that will speak to an unbeliever. He's really reminding believers, hey, because the, sometimes the, the newnessness of, the, of a gift, right, fades away. After months and years, after we've received a gift from someone, we tend to uh, kind of the, the, the value or the preciousness of the gift kind of fades away over time. And, and how we perceive the gift fades away over time. Sometimes we even forget who the gift giver is. And so Paul is here trying to remind, remind us as believers and remind Jews and Gentiles alike that it's God who did it. He's teaching us how he did it, and he's teaching us why he did it. And so that's what I pray today that you would get as we're, we're studying this passage and as we're going through it, that you would have a, a fresh understanding of how much God loves you and how much God reached down to pull you out of the depths of hell, really, out of a dead place, a dead state, into his wonderful relationship with him, into his wonderful kingdom. Does that make sense this morning? So would you stand with me as we read this passage? Again, we're in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. We're going to read this together. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your grace today. We thank you for the empowering of your grace today to open our eyes and to help us see you and to see you properly and to see how much you loved us, how much you still love us. And so we ask today, Father, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts and you would quicken our hearts and minds to your word that we would respond properly in our love and adoration and our fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord. Help me to decrease and you increase and let your word pierce our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to start, I'm going to start here in, in verse 8 instead of verse 1. Uh, because I, for a number of reasons, one of them being that I just didn't want to start with, and you were dead. 
um, I thought that that was probably not uh, the best place to start. But ultimately, how the passage reads, and I think the most important thing that Paul wants us to get here is that it's, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That is a uh, staple of Christianity. It is as important to us as believers as Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created heavens and earth. Like this is a passage that we should all probably have memorized um, and, and hold on to um, because it speaks to uh, God giving us a way to him, that God saved us through faith, through nothing else but through faith. It says this in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, we know the passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but what? Have everlasting life. Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is good news, right? That we have been saved just by believing in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We can be saved. Nothing else. And I think what, what Paul is is trying to remind us and, and teach us here in this passage, because he goes on to say, and this is not your own doing. And what he's trying to teach us here is um, that you didn't just one day wake up and decide to follow Jesus on your own. You didn't just one day wake up and, and come to church on a Sunday and, and think to yourself, you know what? This is a really good day, I think, to follow Jesus. I think that Jesus is a really, really good guy. I think what he did on the cross for me is really, really awesome. So I think today, today is the day that I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And what Paul is saying is, you didn't have it in you to actually make that decision, that, that salvation is not your idea. It's only God's idea. And this is, this is good news for us, that we didn't save ourselves, we didn't even think about saving ourselves, but it is the, the grace of God that produces the faith in us to be able to believe in Jesus Christ, right? So it's, it's all God. It's, it's God's doing that in his grace, it's God's doing in, in faith, it's God's doing in salvation. Does it make, this make sense what I'm saying here this morning? I, I want us to, to understand stand this. This is a really big idea that we are not here on our own doing, that it was God's doing. There's, there's a, a uh, if you read in Ezekiel chapter 36, it's one of, one of my favorite uh, books and chapters in the Bible, but it, it talks about God and, and everything that God has done to redeem his people and everything God does in us and the Holy Spirit does in us to bring us to salvation. And I love it because there's nowhere in that passage that talks about what we did. There's nothing in, in that swath of text that talks about what we do to get to God. It is all about what God does to get to us. Verses 26 and 27 of that passage says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I, this is God talking, And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. God says, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is what God is saying. It is, it is his doing. Salvation is his plan. Salvation is his work. Redemption is his work. You have nothing to do with it. 
And that's tough for some of us, type A people. We like to do things. Um, but God is saying, this is, this is a gift. It's not a result of your works. I had this, this, this picture of, of, of God showing up to our, to our house with a, uh, a winning, guaranteed winning lottery ticket. And he's showing up to our door and he's saying, Here, here's the lottery ticket. And it's, it covers all of your debts and it covers all of your future debts. And you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to try to guess the, the numbers on the ticket. I've done it all for you and I'm showing up and I'm here and I'm giving it to you. And he's, he's at the door. And I get this picture sometimes that we're, we're like, Oh my God, is Jesus at our door? Let me wait, wait, Jesus. Why don't you wait right here one second? Let me let me go real quick and go brush my teeth so I can make myself look good. Let me go put on some clothes. Let me go beat my face, so to speak. Let me let me go make myself look really good for you, Jesus. And sometimes we end up shutting the door on Jesus and say, You just wait right here, Jesus. Let me let me run inside real quick and let me clean up my house real fast before you actually come in, Jesus. Let me let me uh, throw my dirt and stuff and hide it in the closet a little bit so you don't you don't see the things that are going on in my life. And I want to make myself look good for you, Jesus, before you actually come into my world. And God is saying, just stop it, stop it. Don't you understand that I'm here regardless? It's not about you making yourself look good for me because I'm here anyway. You could never clean yourself up enough for God to come into your house. You can never make yourself look good enough for God to come into your house. He shows up with this gift of grace and he's showing up just the way you are, just the way you are. And he wants to help you clean up everything anyway. Right? Jesus is trying to say, look, won't you just let me in so I can actually clean this up for you the right way? And, and he does it like this so, so that no one can boast, as it says in, in verse 9. So that no one can say, hey, God came into my life because my house was in order. So no one can say, I can't, God came into my life and changed my life because, hey, look, I put everything together first. So that no one can say, hey, it's because I went to church every Sunday, and it's because I tithed and I gave a lot of money. It's because I gave to this guy on the side of the street and he was poor. Like, no one is able to set this standard of how God comes into the house. God is saying, I'm, I'm leveling the playing field. It doesn't matter what you are, who you are, what you've done. It's all on me. Because we are people that we, we like to boast I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of quick to elevate our, ourselves and say, look at me, look at what I've done, look at, look at my house, look at my car. I mean, if you go on social, social media, I mean, that's pretty much what social media is. It's, it's a, a big boast fest, right? And everybody's boasting about, about their life and only putting the good things about their life. But they're saying, look at me, look at what I've done. And we do the same thing with God. God, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I've done for you, God. And God is saying, just stop it. And he's saying, look at me. Look at what I've done for you. And this is, and this is really refreshing news. It's, it's good news. It's great news that, that God would demolish this really overwhelming job that we have of constantly thinking, God, how do I get to you? How do I get to heaven? God, how do I get to you? How do I, how do, I do this? 
And God is saying, you just stop for a second. You don't have to think about this you trying to get to me. I've come to you. I'm just going to re- repeat that because I, 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 uh, you know, I grew up super uh, kind of, I would say, re- religious to some, to some degree, going to church and doing things. And it was, it was always about doing the right thing and doing the right thing. And I think for, for some of us, we still kind of operate that way. We're doing the right thing. We're, we we want to do the right thing. And God, God, uh, don't, be, don't be mad at me in a sense of... of, of um, we're trying to prove ourselves to God. And God is saying, you don't have to prove yourself to me. I'm trying to prove myself to you. Um, anyway, uh, and this is, this is really good. And the reality check is, is, is here in verses 1 to 3. Um, if, that, if we had any thought that we could come to God on our own, God kind of he kind of destroys it right here in this passage. Um, and so I, I waited to kind of talk about this so that we can talk about it later. But here, so here we are. Can't wait anymore. And God begins to talk about, I mean, Paul begins to talk about our situation before Christ. And he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. He's, he just keeps going. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's, it's pretty jaw-dropping because he's like, and you, and he's talking to all of us, Jews, Gentiles alike, doesn't matter who you are, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And he's talking about spiritual deadness, and that spiritual deadness means that we are separated from God. And he's saying that we, we are all in the same predicament. You can't be, you know, there aren't really levels of being dead. You're just dead, right? <laughs> we're, we have the original sin, and Adam and Eve in the garden that has separated us, and that's been imputed to us um, as well as, as humanity has grown. And then we also have our inherited sins from our families, and we have our actual sins. Whatever the sin is, Romans 3.23 says this, that the wages of sin is death. Not spiritual sickness. We're not in a coma somewhere you know, waiting to be resuscitated. We are dead and we need resurrection. And he says that this is the way that we once, we once walked. We once walked in this dead state. And this, this walking is not this casual stroll. It's not this, you know, we're not la, 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 you know, uh, with the unicorns and we're hopping and skipping. This is, not, this is not what he's talking about. He's saying that you are uh, on a circuit that you are on a track, so to speak. That this is a place that you can't get off. There's, there's no, you know, 
off ramps and on ramps here. You are kind of just doing this loop. You're on a merry-go-round. You're on the, the, the teacups at Disney. I don't, I don't know. You're on, um, you're, you're on a roller coaster, really. You're on a ride, and you're not in control. And it's a wild ride, and you've paid for it. And, and, and this, is, this is our state, that we are being con- controlled and influenced by outside things that are controlling the narrative of our life. And he says, and he describes it this way, that you're following the course of this world, that the world's values are persuading your values, that the world's principles are persuading your principles, that that you are being influenced by what the world holds as best and true and right and, and morality, that you are being influenced by these things and you are not in control. And typically these things are opposite of the truth of God. He says, we're, we're following the course of the world. And he says, then we're following the prince of the air. That there's a, there are supernatural forces at play here. We don't talk about it enough here at church, and I won't get into it today, but there, there's an enemy to our souls. There's an enemy out there, and he is, he is, he's not everywhere, but his influence is everywhere. And this is what Paul is saying, that he is the prince of the power of the air. So his influence is, is in the air. His influence is in TV. His influence is in social media. His influence is on the radio. His influence is in the government, is in the education. His influence is everywhere, influencing morality and decisions for us. And this is the course of the world and the course of the prince of the air. And this is the things that we are facing and up against, that we're not just dead, but we're also being led further and further and further away. Then he goes that there's this spirit that is at work now, now, in the sons of disobedience, the sons of Adam, among whom we all once lived. And again, he's, he's throwing everybody together. So just in case you thought that this was about everybody else but except for yourself, the reality check is that everybody is on the Titanic together. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture. Bear with me here. But it's, it's, it's super grim for us. That there's the, the passions of our flesh that are, are guiding us. Uh, it's saying, like, for, for the most part, we, we, all, we all try to do good. And we all try to do well. Uh, but then there are just these passions that we have, whether they're good or whether they're bad, but if they, if they aren't the God's desires, then they're our desires, and most of the time they're selfish desires. And he's saying even, even if you don't act on your desires and you push down your desires, you still have desires that aren't God's desires that, that are leading you and guiding you. And then he's challenging the heart. He's not just challenging our actions. He's challenging our heart. It's like Jesus on the Sermon on the Mountain. He's talking about, hey, we say do not murder. But then if you look at your brother and your sister and you say, you fool, you've murdered them in your heart. I mean, that's, that's Jesus challenging our, our heart. I think I might have said that this morning on my way here to church to somebody that cut me off in traffic. <laughs> Please forgive me, Lord. 
true confession, I'm, I may be a mass murderer on Route 7, Route 28, 495, 395, right? I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to leave it there. But he's talking about our heart, and he begins to challenge us in our, in our, in our, in our lust on the Sermon on the Mount. He's not just talking about, hey, the action of committing adultery. He's talking about lusting after another person. And he's getting, he's challenging the heart. These are the passions that are in our, our flesh. Even though we don't act on them, there's still, there's still some tension there. And then ultimately, it says that we carry out these desires of the body and of the mind. You know, Paul puts it like this in Romans 7. He's like, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and then I don't do the things that I want to do. There's, there's this tension there. But ultimately, uh, what he's saying is that there are passions and desires that he has, and, they're, and they're, they're pulling him. They're pulling him to do things that he does not want to do, that our hearts are turned, leaning towards wickedness. And he says this in this verse, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Again, throwing us all in the same boat together. But anyone that has kids, you can attest to our nature. There was a lot of, oh, yeah, we're that, right? We don't have to teach our kids to do right. I mean, no, no, we have to teach them to do right. Good Lord, we have to teach our kids to do right. Well, we, we don't have to teach them to be selfish. We don't have to teach them to, to be angry or to be disobedient. They are by nature that way. We have to teach them how to do the right thing, how to be obedient. We have to bend their will, so to speak. And this is grim, right? This is, I mean, if I'm recapping this, look, we're born into sin. We're influenced by the world. We're influenced by the devil. We're, we're influenced by uh, the, the sons of disobedience in which we're, we're living. We're, we, we have these desires that, we, that are pulling us further and further away. And we're sinful by nature. And the, the deck is stacked against us. It's, it's like we're lost, and it's really cold, and it's dark. And we're a zombie because we're dead. I'm trying to think about this, this analogy. It's kind of falling apart. But listen. <laughs> it looks really bad. I don't know if you're getting the picture here, but it, it looks impossible. And this is what... This is what, what makes verse 4 so powerful. Because it says, but God. Amen. Right? Because you look at this and you're like, this is, this is really, really bad. Who can intervene into this mess? God can. Yes. But God. Some of us are in this room and we're thinking, but you don't understand, Jermaine. This, this looks really, really bad. And But you don't really know what I did last night, and that was really, really bad. But God, yes. you, don't, you don't know my situation that I've come from and my past and how bad it really is. But God, it's a, it might be one of the, it's like the greatest two words in the history of words put together. And I don't think I've really ever fully understood the power of, of these words until I started to really 
really dig into this. And if you can, and you can really get it and kind of see the, the, the tension that is at play and you can see all the things that have pulled you away and the fact that you're actually really dead and nothing inside of you is actually alive spiritually to even say, I want you, God. I want to be saved. And there's, there's things that are pulling you further and further away and there's the enemy of our soul that's pulling us further and further away. And it looks really, really bleak. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Rich in mercy. Mercy is, mercy is, um, if we think about grace and grace being God's undeserved, unmerited favor that he bestows upon us, this, this gift that he gives us. Mercy is what he withholds from us. The thing that we deserve because of our situation, that I've just painted this picture, that is deserving of death. That is deserving of complete separation from God because he is holy. But he approaches us because he's rich in mercy. Our sin is great, but his mercy is greater, right? And then he says, because of the great love with which he loved us. And this isn't, this isn't love in abstract. Like, this is love in action. This is, this is God saying, if you read John 3.16 again, it's, it's, for God so loved the world that he gave. This isn't that God so loved the world that he watched us perish and die and spend eternity away from him. This is God so love that he gave his son so that we might have eternal life. If you read the, uh, Luke 15, the prodigal son, it's, it's a story of someone who has given everything away, thrown away the inheritance, embarrassed the father, embarrassed the family, finds himself with the pigs. And he comes to the father Kind of like, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you, you want me to do. Not thinking that the father would actually welcome him back in as a son. But when he approaches the father, the father comes to him, excited, filled with love, not angry, but merciful, and loves him and embraces him and throws on a robe and throws on a ring and reinstates him into the family. And, and he throws him a party and he says, you're my son my love. There's this, this story in, in, uh, in John chapter 8, and it's the woman that's caught in adultery. And that's how we title the story. She is caught in adultery. She's caught in her sin. You can't paint a more uh, bigger picture of God's mercy towards someone that she was caught in the act of her sin, and God and Jesus himself covered her in her sin. He didn't con- condemn her. He condemned those that would condemn her, but he covered her in her sin. And then he forgave her and said that her sins are no more. This is God expressing his love towards us because even when we were dead in our own trespasses, says this in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And then he puts in here this, this we see it in brackets here, but this is really in, uh, like in parentheses. By, by grace you have been saved. 
You can read this sentence, and he really doesn't need to have this in here. He just puts it in bracket because I think he wants us to know that by grace you have been saved. That even when you were dead, the grace of God is this resurrection power that can awaken your soul and bring you to him. I hope you guys can get this picture. Lazarus in the grave. He didn't say, hey, hey Jesus, I, come wake me up. <laughs> he was dead. And God said, come forth, Lazarus. It's, it's God's doing that his words spoke life into Lazarus, and Lazarus came up out of the grave. That's the same power that, that God has spoken to many of us in this room. That you are not here because you made a decision to follow God. You are here because God breathed his words and life into your spirit and made you alive with him. And made you alive with him. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And he says, and he raised us up with him now. And he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is a lot of text, right? Um, and we could preach an entire message on, on just each one of these points that he raised us up with him and that he seated us with him in heavenly places. But, but, I, but I think what I really just want to say is that he doesn't just leave us where we are. Amen. And this isn't... Um, a future raising up, and this isn't a future seated with him in heavenly places. He's, he's talking about he's, he's raised us up right now, and that he's seated us with Christ right now. That there's this, this raising up and seating with Christ in heavenly places that speaks to who we are in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of Christ. Um, and I don't want to go over in too long, but... Um, this is where Christ is seated, family. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23 says this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ? And he's talking about this resurrection power that God has given to us. Then he says, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is where Christ is seated, and this is where we are seated, with him in the heavenly places. I don't know if that does anything for your, for your soul or does anything for your spirit, but what I hope you get from this is that God doesn't leave you in a place uh, where you are still subject to the things that you used to be subject to, where you used to be following the course of the world and you used to be following the prince of the air. Now, now you are seated above those things. And his resurrection power is there to help you and his grace is there to help you. In verse 7, as we come to a close, he says this, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
that he has expressed his grace towards us really so that he can brag about us to the world. He doesn't want us to boast because he wants to do the boasting. And he's showing up with so much grace and so much love and so much kindness and so much mercy so that he can transform us. And then he wants to display us to the world. He wants to display his kids to the world and say, look at my, look at my boy. Look at my girl. Look at, look at what I've done. And I can do the same for you. That's what he wants to display through your life. Is his grace transforming you so that others can see it and say, I want that too. I want that too. Reggie, you can, you can come on up. I, I think Paul is reminding us as believers as well about the power of his grace. That if God can can take someone that's dead spiritually and make them alive spiritually. He's talking about his, his power. He's talking about his transformational power. And if, and if God can do that, what can't he do? If God can do that, what can't he do? It says in, says in James chapter 4 and verse 6, it's my, it's my favorite verse in the Bible because it, it says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Why that means so much to me is because I need a lot of grace. <laughs> I know what my life looked like being dead in my sins and my trespasses and being controlled by outside things that were influencing me. And to be standing here in front of you right now, giving you the word of God is a miracle within itself. That's power. And he gives more grace. He doesn't just leave us. It's just a reminder that his resurrection power is available for us. Is there any situation that you might need more grace? Is there a marriage here today that needs the grace of God? Is there someone that has a lost child, lost in sin, lost in the world? He gives more grace. Anybody with a broken heart today, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your grace the resurrection power of your grace. That you didn't leave us in our dead state, but you made us alive together with Christ. That your word speaks into our hearts, into our minds, and it quickens us and wakes us up so that we can know you and experience you right now. Right now, I'm... uh, Is there anyone here with all of our eyes closed and heads bowed? I believe God wants to give some grace today. That he gives more grace. 
Does anybody here need the grace of God today? If you need the grace of God in a situation in your life, if you need the grace of God to come and, and fall on any circumstance in your life, would you raise your hands in this place? It's a lot of hands. So, Father, we thank you right now for your grace that you give more, that we ask for more and you give more, that you don't withhold, Lord, but, but you give more grace. And so we ask for every situation to be covered here for the power of your grace that you would resurrect whatever it is that might be dead in the lives of your believers here in this room. Again, if, if, you, if you're hearing that, that God has come to you today and his word is speaking to your heart and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, this is your moment. Do not harden your heart. If you don't know Jesus and this message of grace is, is, is hitting you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Would you... Would you raise your hand today if you want to give your life to the Lord? So I thank you, Lord, for everyone under the sound of my voice. Thank you for uh, them knowing you and believing in you. And I pray that you will open our hearts to be able to receive more of your grace today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.